This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab, your host, Greg Gazin, speaker, blogger, author, and syndicated veteran columnist of Troy Media. Episode 153, Making Freaking Meetings Fun and Productive, with our guest, Matt Abrahams. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication, leadership, and learning lab. This is your host, Greg Gazin. We're back with another exciting episode, and we have a return guest, Matt Abrahams, educator and coach who teaches strategic communication for Stanford University's Graduate School of Business and Presentation Skills, or Stanford's Continuing Studies Program. He's also co-founder of coaching consulting practice, Bold Echo Communication Solutions, where he helps presenters at all levels of an organization to become more confident and compelling speakers. He is also the author of this great little book, because I do love it, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, now in its third edition. Matt is now also in the podcast arena with his new podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart, which he will be talking to us about a little bit later. We've also heard Matt Abrahams on a previous edition on episode 93. You can also catch Matt on the Toastmasters podcast, episode 111, with my co-host Ryan Levesque, where we spoke about how to be confident. Matt Abrahams, welcome back to the program. Greg, so excited to be back with you. I always enjoy our conversations. So do I, and I was really intrigued, and we're going to be looking at a little bit of a different side of communications, and that's meetings. And Whenever we hear the word meeting, some people say, oh, it's a productivity killer. And other people Mm -hmm. say, oh, meetings, what a waste of time. No, no, not another meeting, but perhaps it may be a necessary evil. Or is it? (laughs) I actually think meetings can be incredibly helpful. And there's a lot of evidence to say that that bringing people together to coordinate action, to, to build trust and camaraderie is really important. The problem is we just do meetings so poorly that we suck out any potential benefit from them. Yeah, that's so true. Quite often I find that meetings just seem to be, we know we're having them every month, every week, or however often they're scheduled, but yet it seems that they're either overproduced or they're just whipped together at the last minute. And of course you end up with a waste of time. Certainly. How you plan and prepare for a meeting is really critical to having success. If it's one and done or or a recurring meeting, taking the time to plan and prepare people for what's going to happen is critical to the success of all meetings. Yeah. As a coach, as a consultant, as as an expert, as a communicator, also as an educator, obviously there was something that triggered you to really dive deeply into this subject. What was it and, and what were some of the things that you discovered? My frustration with meetings uh, dates uh, goes way, way back. Uh, I have always been amazed at my emotion that I would feel when I learned that a meeting was canceled. It was just exuberant joy. That led me to think, why am I so excited that meetings are being canceled? And then I, I began to think it's because they are run so poorly and they're not as effective as they could be. Since that time, I began exploring how meetings work did some investigation on my own, did some research and connected with colleagues to really try to figure out what's at the at the core. And really, it has to do with how we actually execute on the meetings and how we set people's expectations up front. And then what we do when the meetings are done. So really, each of those phases, what you do for preparation, how you execute the meeting itself, and then how you follow up, really all impact 
not only the success in terms of what you achieve in the meeting, but also people's perceptions. And, and believe it or not, Greg, you can be thanked for running a good meeting. I, I know that sounds bizarre, but, but you can actually run meetings that people appreciate and look forward to. Now, before you organize a meeting that, of course, you want to, you know, come off without a hitch, you want people to get excited about, you want to keep, you know, keep people engaged. What are some of the things that you need to do ahead of time? Well, first and foremost, Greg, I think we really need to consider, do we even need a meeting? If you think about many of the tasks that we strive to complete in meetings, do you really need to convene to do that? For example, a lot of meetings are simply updates where you go around the room and everybody just shares what they've done and how they're tracking to goals, etc. You can actually do that in lots of different ways rather than actually convening together. You can do write-ups. You can post things in shared documents. There's some companies I've consulted for where they actually create little 30-second videos and everybody watches those videos by some date during the week. You don't always need to have a meeting to accomplish some of your goals. And what that means is you can then leave the actual convening of meetings for very strategic or practical applications where we collaborate, where we make decisions, where we're brainstorming, and leave the updating, leave the going through the procedures and processes to other means. So one of the first things to think about is, do I really need a meeting? And then the second thing to think about is, who do I need to have in the meeting? We often invite more people than we need. And sometimes it's because there are politics involved and we want to make sure the right people are in the room or at least had an opportunity to be in the room. The other situation, this is one is actually very problematic, is where meetings become the band-aid for bad communication. And I've been brought into a number of companies where the problem is not how meetings are run, it's how communication happens in the organization in general. And people use meetings as a default mechanism to just check in with each other, to validate what the senior leadership is thinking, etc. Sometimes the fact that we're having meetings that aren't going well is simply a symptom of a bigger communication problem. In either case, any situation, you need to be thinking, who are the people that need to be in the room to accomplish the goal that I have? So before you ever meet, think about, do we actually need to meet? And then who needs to be there? That's right. You may have a meeting where part one of the action plans is to say, hey, we're going to have now a podcast or we're going to have a video that you can watch. So that's part of your action rather than have that part of the meeting. And then in terms of inviting people, yeah, that actually makes sense. I know sometimes there that there's that FOMO, was it fear of missing out? Yeah. But at the same time, does that individual need to be there? Can someone else go in their place? And it's sort of can sometimes not necessarily be an effective waste of time. The other thing I'm thinking about is I'm just thinking about one organization I worked for many years ago is there would be communication going back and forth. But then everyone kind of said, well, we'll leave it to the meeting and then we'll discuss it when that could have potentially been addressed, even either an informal get together or even a series of emails or a quick phone call. That's right. We have made meetings the default way for communicating, and the pandemic has not helped with that. And we need to remember that there are lots of other opportunities to accomplish some of our communication goals that don't require a formal meeting. Yeah, every once in a while, I get, that was a great meeting, but it doesn't really happen all too often. I'm just wondering if people maybe have a bad attitude. <laughs> the word meeting itself kind of triggers this emotion. <laughs> 
I think that's true. But if you can turn it into a collaborative event where people see that they're getting value and that they get a chance to participate, it can really help. And I think the pandemic has really shown that we need to meet to get work done is critical. So, so we might as well investigate ways to do this as effectively as possible. I'll give you one example. I'm a huge fan of leveraging meeting invites. I think one of the most underutilized tools to make meetings better is how you invite people to the meeting. And everything from what you title the meeting to, to what you put into the body of the email. Most of us just slap a title on in a URL to show people where we're going to connect versus really taking time to think of it uh, like you would an email or some other kind of document that you send out. So for example, I have a, a teenage son. He's just getting ready to, to get his driver's license, and he's very excited to get a new car. Well, not a new car, but a new car to him. So he was looking the other day at used cars because I said, hey, go check out some used cars, see what's out there, see, see what we can do to start saving. And he came back and he said, there are no such things as used cars anymore, Dad. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, all I can find are certified previously owned vehicles. And I thought that's a perfect example of how naming matters. A certified previously owned vehicle sounds much nicer than a used car, even though it's the same piece of crud old car. The way we name our meetings matters. Name it with something that invokes emotion, that gets people interested. And then in the body of that invite, put a question or two and start your meeting with answering those questions. So people know from the get-go when they see the invite that this is going to be participative and that I have to prepare. You start by answering those questions and getting dialogue going, and then you can get to your regular business. So Matt, I, I'd love to hear an example as to how that would play out, let's say in a, a small organization. Sure. So for example, imagine you're in a sales team and you have a weekly meeting where you talk about the current funnel and the leads and prospects, et cetera. Instead of calling it sales meeting, call it this week's opportunity meeting or something of that nature to focus on what the goal is that we're looking at the opportunities before us. And people tend to be motivated by that. You could then include a question in the body of the invite that says, bring with you one success that you've had. What is something that's been successful for you in selling the product or getting a prospect to convert to a client in this last week? So everybody comes prepared, ready to discuss rather than starting meetings like we mostly do. If you think about it, it's ridiculous. How do most meetings start? By reviewing what happened in the previous meeting. Well, if you didn't like the previous meeting, starting the current meeting by reviewing what happened in the previous meeting you didn't like is setting you to start several steps behind where you want to be. So a good title, a good question can really get you started off well. Okay. So in this particular example, we have decided that we are going to have a meeting. It's this sales meeting where we're going to look at some new opportunities. What are some of the things that we can do during the meeting to, to make them more effective and also to, to boost engagement? What are some of the tips and tricks that, uh, that we could use to create more effectiveness? So to begin, it's critical to have a clear goal and objective for the meeting. And to me, any communication goal, be it for a meeting, a presentation, a one-on-one -on -one interaction, has three components. It's about information, emotion, and action. So you as the meeting organizer need to be clear on what is it you want people to know as a result of this meeting? How do you want them to feel? Do you want them motivated, concerned? Do you want them inspired? 
And then what action or actions do you want to have as a result of that meeting? So, so having a clear goal in mind as the meeting facilitator or leader is critical and making sure that people understand that goal early on. And that could be because it's on the agenda or in the meeting invite, or you take a few minutes to state the goal. And the best way to do that, to state that goal is to put it into context, make it relevant for people. If people see the value in what it is they are trying to accomplish in the meeting, they're more likely to get invested and involved. And sometimes you, you explain the value and sometimes you can ask people in the meeting. You can, you can say, with our goal being this, what are some ways that this would help you or, or how could you get value from what we're about to do? So you want people to be invested. Once the meeting is actually going, it's your job as a facilitator to make sure that, that everybody is contributing when appropriate, that you're sticking on time, that you're focusing and not going off on tangents. And there are a few tools that can really help you do this. First and foremost is having the agenda and, and on that agenda, allocating time, how long we're going to spend, owner of the particular content so people know who the expert or the leader will be for that particular topic. And then clearly setting expectations about what you want people to do with that topic. Is it simply discussion? Is there a decision to be made? Is some kind of action to be taken? So you let people know that. And again, the agenda is a great place to just identify all that um, uh, material. Second, in the actual interaction, paraphrasing, I believe, becomes one of your strongest tools. Paraphrasing is where you validate what has been said in your own words. You, you repeat it or you rename it in a way that reflects what was said. And you can use that then to ask questions, to further the discussion, to get deeper into it. Perhaps you ask other people to comment on what it is that has just been discussed. Or you can use the paraphrase to pivot to move away from a tangent or move to what's next in the agenda. So one way to keep a meeting moving and to keep people engaged is to paraphrase and ask questions and bridge to what's next. That's really interesting. You know, as you were speaking about stating what the goal is and making sure that you're clear, I thought that's great because quite often instead of someone saying, okay, it's sales targets, it'll be maybe sales targets for the next quarter or something like that, or maybe sales targets in a particular area. The other thing I found really interesting is when, when you started talking about the purpose of the meeting mm -hmm. and what you wanted people to accomplish, all of a sudden in my head, it started to sound like a speech in the sense mm. that a speech has, a, has an objective. And what do you want to do? Do you want to persuade? Do you want to inspire? Do you want to encourage someone to do something? So all of a sudden now this meeting, it sounded like a speech. The other thing I just found fascinating is you talked about paraphrasing and paraphrasing, I guess, is great also to clarify for understanding. But one of the things I see often that happens in meetings is people will say something and then there's no response. And so either the person who said something is thinking, okay, either they didn't get it or they're just not listening to me. So paraphrasing back, I think certainly can certainly, certainly boost engagement. And you just did a great job of paraphrasing. So there you go. You're demonstrating what we're talking about. <laughs> we have the goal of the meeting. It's clearly defined. Everyone knows what the purpose is. We, we have the agenda. We're, we're paraphrasing. We've now got engagement boost. What are some of the other ways that you can sort of keep that balloon in the air? What are some of the ways that you can keep meetings fun and exciting so that they don't seem to feel like they're the same old, same old? One is focusing on that. One is focusing on how can we keep the meeting engaging? Most of us have our to-do list and our agenda, and we just want to tick off the items and go through it. Instead, what we do is we tick off our audience and they're like, 
I don't care about this anymore. Instead, <laughs> we should be more engaging. There are lots of ways to be engaging. For example, get people physically engaged, physically doing something. So writing on a whiteboard in person or virtual, taking polls, having people break into smaller groups and, and work on a project or task and then come back and share with each other. Uh, using technology to help. So there, there are technology tools for brainstorming. There are technology tools for generating ideas. These are the kind of things that you can leverage to make the meeting more engaging and more productive. So a whole series of productivity tools can be leveraged. Thinking about the experience versus thinking about just the content matters. See yourself when you're running a meeting as a host, not as just the, the leader who's going to get through the agenda. And, and a host wants to make sure that the whole experience is positive and that people leave achieving the goal that they wanted. So part of it is just your perception of your own role as a leader, but also it's leveraging tools, technology, and engagement opportunities for people. Well, all of a sudden, I'm imagining a whole series of possibilities. And it's really funny because as you're speaking, of course, I'm I'm imagining this in my head. I'm sort of, as we were talking, I was trying to play through a meeting, thinking of some of the meetings I've had in the past. All of a sudden, I wasn't even thinking of meetings. All of a sudden, I'm starting to think about, I was thinking about facilitations. I was thinking about workshops because it sounds like all of a sudden you're getting everyone involved, everyone engaged, getting them up to the whiteboard, maybe even assign tasks to them. This to me sounds like it's more like a workshop where at the end of the workshop, usually there's a takeaway. Typically at a meeting, it's kind of very sort of corporate. <laughs> I think that's a great way to visualize your role. It is absolutely about being a facilitator of like a workshop or, or a class where you're trying to keep people focused and involved. And, and people who are good facilitators of workshops and trainings tend to be really good leaders of meetings. And it's because they're using the same skills. And so I think that's a really good way of thinking about it and can be really helpful for people. Well, that's great. So would you recommend, for example, even changing things up? So instead of having new business at the end, we may have it in the middle or at the beginning. Would you do things like that as well? Absolutely. I think being very creative about what you put where matters a lot to people. So if there's something that will get people excited, let's get them excited up front or in the middle when things tend to wane. So yes, organizing your content along where people's interests are makes a lot of sense. There's research that says if you have a really hard issue to discuss in a meeting, that you actually put that hard issue in the middle. So imagine you have three issues, one that's relatively straightforward, isn't going to be very challenging, not a lot of emotion behind it. You've got one that's in the middle, and then you've got one that's really difficult. The research suggests you start with the middle one first, the one that's mediumly challenging, then you move to the one that's the most difficult, and you end with the one that's the likely to be the easiest. Most people don't do that. Most people put the easiest one up front because they want to get some traction going. But the, the problem is there's this entropy that happens and you end up taking way too much time on that initial item. So then you end up rushing to get through the ones that are more challenging and difficult. So thinking about the order really is something that's important. That's interesting. It's almost counterintuitive, the sense of, well, let's just break the ice first. We'll start off with something light and then we'll work our way into it. But you're so right. Those small things take up so much time. And then when you get to the really, really important, perhaps there's a decision that needs to be made. Right. All of a sudden it's that, oh, it's lunchtime. We have to go or it's the end of day and we've run out of time. Exactly. And then people leave unsatisfied. So you've set yourself up for failure when you do that. So absolutely need to think about the ordering. 
so I guess as a planner, you would have to almost assign a one, two, three to say, if you got three items, put a little weighting on them. This is easy. This is medium. This is difficult. And then reorder them. That's exactly right. So part of your preparation is thinking through which of these items are likely to be most challenging to my audience. That's really clever. And if you end on something easy, then people perhaps don't have as much weight on their shoulders as they're departing the meeting. That's right. So they leave feeling like they've accomplished something, which, which is a great thing to have people leave with. Now that we've finished this meeting, where do we go from here? How do we ensure that, okay, we've had this fantastic meeting. There was a goal here. How do we ensure that that goal is attained after the meeting? Starting by clearly defining the goal up front is really important. So everybody understands what it is you're trying to do to achieve and making sure that you're tracking to that goal throughout. And if for some reason you deviate, you call it out and you, you say, hey, we're wandering. We've got some drift going on. Do we want to align ourselves back with what we agreed to or uh, is this important enough for us to, to keep this thread going? So you take a pulse and you get everybody's buy in for it. Then as the meeting progresses, you're keeping track of what's being said, how it's being said, the action items that come from it. So there's a running list. And at the end of the meeting, a good sense of closure is to revisit your goal, document how you've accomplished that goal by going through the action items and decisions made, and then talk about how you're going to keep that information alive. Is it sending out an email summary, a video summary? Is it posting it in a shared location where people go to and validate? I'm a huge fan of capturing what happened in the meeting in the actual agenda. So there's one location where my agendas reside. If it's an agenda for a meeting that's about to come, then I have people reading it in advance, looking for those questions and engagement opportunities I've built into it. And if it's for a meeting that tra already transpired, they go to the same place to see the agenda with all of the details of what occurred in the meeting. So you keep it alive by having one central repository, making sure you're tracking what's happened in the meeting, and then setting up next steps and following through with those next steps. That's how you keep it alive and keep things moving. And I believe people will thank you for that. Well, that's interesting. Typically, agendas, once they're over, they're over. So what you're saying, you keep track of them, you have the detail in there so that people could actually go back and say, okay, on June 27th, we had this meeting. This is what we said we were going to do. This is what we accomplished. And you can go forward from there. That's exactly what I'm saying. That can really help everybody to know what's going on. This is great. I mean, for some people, this is going to be a huge change in philosophy. But even just for myself, saying, thinking in my mind is, if I'm looking at it as a facilitation rather than a simple meeting, if I'm looking at it as a speech with a goal rather than just here's an agenda, that's groundbreaking for me. We're sometimes very resistant to change. If we're looking to try to encourage organizations to change the way they do meetings, to make them more effective and more productive, is there a way that we can continue to get them to do it this way? Because you know, nature's habit where, oh yeah, this is great. This is new thing, a super. And then of course, next week it's back to the same old, same old. How do you encourage them to continue with the change in the new way of doing things? I always recommend small victories. Find a meeting that is ripe for change and implement some of these practices in that meeting. So, so people begin to see that this is helpful, that this results in better conclusions and actions and feelings as the result of, of running meetings this way. Start small, get some proof points, and then start talking about that. So start spreading the word. Hey, in the, the weekly forecasting meeting, 
good things are happening. We've actually reduced the hour meeting to 45 minutes. We are more efficient and effective. People are more engaged. And having a proof point can help. And then you begin to spread that approach to other meetings. Making sure that leaders in an organization subscribe to these views and really encourage people to adopt new ways of meeting. To make sure that at the end of every meeting, two or three minutes is dedicated to assessing not the content of the meeting, but how the meeting was run and showing that, that people are concerned with making them better. So let's talk about and reflect. And then finally, really encouraging managers to talk to their employees, not just about how they run meetings and how they behave in meetings, but a communication in general. So as part of performance reviews, you're talking about communication. Those are the ways to institute long-lasting change in meetings and other types of communication within an organization. Start small, get a success and proof points, have managers demonstrating and really focusing on it, not just at the end of meetings and doing reflection, but also having it part of performance reviews. Making it part of the DNA of the company can make a big, big difference. Sounds like it's a little bit of work up front, but I think there's certainly a huge payoff down the road. Absolutely. That is exactly right. As, as is many things in life, uh, the better you prepare. <laughs> People will often say, that's a lot of work for running a meeting. The way we do it is just so much quicker now. And then I say, great, but think about the amount of time you spend triaging and repeating and having to, to do over what you did in the meeting because you didn't invest this information and time up front. And it makes a big difference. How many meetings do you think it might take to start to see this kind of change? I think three two or three to, to really start to see it and people to see, hey, this wasn't an accident or a fluke. This actually it makes a lot of sense. And of course, uh, you're going to have to stick to your guns because there still will be people that will just go, nah, nah, we've been doing it this way for so long. Why change it now? That's right. So Matt, a lot of organizations have gone to virtual meetings. In fact, some companies are now having more meetings that they've ever had before simply because they're now in a virtual environment. Are there some tips and tricks or techniques that can apply in the virtual environment? Uh, there are. So uh, first and foremost, we have to show interest in the meeting by looking at the camera, making our nonverbal presence a little larger than we typically would. So we have to nod and give some feedback in terms of the words we use so that people see that we're actually participating and not doing something else. As, a, as somebody leading a meeting, you can leverage some of the tools that you have, taking polls, having reactions like smiley faces, thumbs up, using the chat. These are ways to get people more engaged and involved. And there are actually some advantages to being virtual. You can have private chats with people that you could never do in a real uh, situation when everybody's sitting in a room. So, for example, if I think somebody might have something to say on the next topic, I can private chat them and say, hey, do you want to contribute when we get to this point? And that can be really helpful. So I encourage people to think that way. Uh, so there are lots of things to think about when you're using virtual tools, but it's about engagement, both showing your engagement if you're a participant and as a leader, leveraging some of those tools to invite that type of uh, engagement. As we come to a close, this has been really enlightening. I Please let everyone know a little bit about your podcast. I am very fortunate to host a podcast for Stanford's Graduate School of Business called Think Fast, Talk Smart. And much like you, it focuses exclusively on communication. I interview Stanford faculty and staff who are experts in different areas of communication, and we give best practices. We keep the episodes short, and the idea is to help people 
improve their communication in lots of different domains. For example, we, we just talked to a neuroscientist who talks about story and how story impacts our brains. So Matt, if someone is, wants to hear more about your podcast or find out more about what you do, either with uh, Bull Echo or to find out about your book, what's the best way for people to find you? So thank you for the opportunity to share. So two places I'd like people to look for. So if you're interested in coaching and, and learning about how to become more confident and compelling in your communication, be it in meetings or presentations, please check out boldecho.com. We want your messages to be bold and to echo long after you're gone. And if you're looking for just learning resources, how to, to find ways to, to be better, uh, self-paced uh, materials, check out nofreakingspeaking.com, nofreakingspeaking.com. And Greg, as always, wonderful to chat with you. Oh, Matt, thank you so much for honoring us and being a guest one more time. It is my pleasure. Thank you, Greg. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com. <laughs>